like people are like, what what cue do you use to get the hop or whatever? It's like, tell them to hop better. How'd you get the name Young Jumps? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's like when I created the name, that was probably, I don't know, almost 10 years ago. It's like, you know, it's almost like a rapper name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young, young whatever. And I was coached at the time, I was just coaching a bunch of high school kids. And so I couldn't say like kids from a certain school or whatever, because it's just sure. anybody that was young, they could get it. So it was yeah, just young jumps, not as young anymore, but. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I mean, you coach, was... you coach the whole spectrum though, right? I mean, you got high school kids, obviously pros, and then do you coach anywhere in between or even younger too? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm saying like at the time I was only coaching high school kids. Now I have a couple like middle school, like 12, 13 year old kids. And I have, you know, when my kids come, some of my kids that, that actually went to college for track, like they'll come back during the holidays and They'll still get that work in. I have one girl that's collegiate who's actually pretty good who decided to just actually forgo NCAA and just train with me. That's kind of a big decision. But yeah, yeah. She wanted to do it and she felt like being with me was better off. Awesome. So yeah, I coach, I guess, all levels. I mean, I don't coach the little, little kids, but yeah. You coach whoever wants to, though. Yeah. All right, so yeah, what what is your story? How did you become a coach? What got you interested in track and field and the jump specifically from the beginning? Um, I mean, as a little as a little kid growing up, I mean, I always liked jumping around. I mean, I can remember like you know trying to jump up as many stairs as possible at home and having my dad yell at me and stuff like that. And I played basketball from like a very young age, and so and I was always like fast and like a good jumper but because like the problem is I like I told you earlier I, I'm from a small town small mm-hmm. suburb with like 16,000 people and so like growing up I was like reasonably tall like growth spurt wise and because I could jump I was playing like power forward and like center and stuff but like I'm only like six feet tall and so like I think maybe I was like 5'10 when I was in like ninth grade or something but then I didn't really get much taller and so I you know, yeah, maybe I was tall early, but so I didn't have those skills to be really good at basketball because I didn't like I should be a point guard or something. Right. Well, I was just going to say, if you I grew didn't... up now, like if you were coming up now, they would have you be like a point guard or a shooting guard for sure. Because like yeah, you got but, uh, Kevin. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, the game is totally different now, but I'm right, saying back right. then it was like I was one of the tallest ones and I could jump high. So they're going to put me in power forward or center four or five or whatever right so I never really developed those skills and so by the time I got to high school and because our high school also had post-grad so guys that would take an extra year just to play basketball and that would actually play in like pretty good programs like we had I don't know if you know basketball like that but we had this guy Rashad McCants who ended up going to the NBA he was in our league and so like we were actually playing against guys that ended up in the NBA yeah wow and so like I'm not saying our team was like super good, but we had, you know, 19 and 20 year olds on the team. And I just like, <laughs> I think I tried out my junior year and maybe I, I like made it to the second day and like I was athletic enough, but I didn't have, like I said, the ball handling skills to really sure. 
for it to be worth it. And so that was a long-winded way of saying like my junior year, I played like JV sophomore, freshman, sophomore year. And then junior year, I just decided to do track full time. So indoor indoor and outdoor track, because as I told you, I went to high school in New Hampshire. And so we were definitely inside in New Hampshire. <laughs> But yeah, that junior year, like I actually jumped well and then junior started, year of high school or junior of college. Yeah, yeah. yeah. High, school, high, school. high school. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I got recruited. And because I went to like this preppy boarding school, like, you know, I was getting recruited at a lot of like Ivy League schools and like good sure. academic schools and stuff like that. And so yeah. And so then I eventually, you know, went to Cornell. I mean, I, I had I was doing track to I think it maybe started in eighth grade, but I really got good, like I said, my junior year. My freshman year, this, these kids, they used to always make fun of, maybe not make fun, but during our like little banquet, my freshman year, they called me the jumper of the future. Like I was pretty good <laughs> my freshman year, then, but I didn't really do anything like, you know, recruitable until, you know, my junior year indoors. So yeah, then I went to Cornell and then I was like solid athlete, I guess. Like I jumped, I wasn't a great long jumper. I, I only jumped 23-1 in the long jump. Triple jump, I jumped 49-11. But, like, I was, like, really, really strong. And, and like, in the years that I was there, like, one of the guys are my, still my friends today. COVID, I haven't seen one of these guys in a while because he's in London. But they, we had two NCAA champions when I was at Cornell. In oh, triple dang. jump, Like, back to back. Yeah. And so, it was, like, there were these guys who I was stronger than, who I could keep up with in the workouts. I could beat them in some of, like, the short approach stuff. But, you know, when it came to full approach, you know, I was jumping, you know, 49 and they were jumping 53 and 54. Wow. Yeah. Stuff like that. And I didn't at the time, like, really understand that. And so that was like particularly frustrating for me because, you know, I was the type of guy that kind of wanted to be like a no regrets kind of guy. So like Mm -hmm. I was doing everything that I thought I needed to do. Now, looking back and being a coach, is there something you would change about how you trained or what you did? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, like I said, I don't have any regrets. I think I did everything that I knew I could do, but like I was a muscle head. So I was like super inflexible. I mm. just couldn't hit the right positions. Right. Right. Maybe you put a, too much of an emphasis on strength. Like I'm definitely more of a power strength oriented guy, but you definitely need to be able to move weight quickly. And I was just more about moving weight. Moving and any I didn't necessarily weight. Like, yeah. understand that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think my, my technique was bad because my range of motion was really bad. Um, and I thought that I could just like, Hey, I'm strong. I can just kind of muscle these phases and I'll be fine. But I think at the highest levels, you can't really muscle anything. Like you can't, you can't get away with muscling stuff. If you're trying to be an NCAA champion or you're trying to be, you know, a world elite Olympic athlete and all that stuff. It's like, I was frustrated by that with those guys. And so, like, I trained a little bit post-collegiately, and actually, so one of the guys I told you, the NCAA champion, he also, his name is Muhammad Halim, like, we're really good friends still to this day. Um, we actually, like, lived together after college. So we were training together a bit. He had, He's a two-time Olympian, too. Okay, Rio sweet. in London. So I trained post-collegiately with him, and I, and, I, and I started to learn more of that stuff. And I was actually having a really good season and stuff, training with him and... I ended up tearing my quadriceps tendon. And so like before, so I guess to answer your question about how I got into coaching, like because we were training post-collegically, there was a school over here that had an indoor track and they said, hey, basically you can use the track if we help if you coach our kids. And I was like, okay. Nice. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were doing that. And then while we were training, I ended up, 
you know, literally I had the jump before I had like an indoor PR and then I fouled a huge jump and then I blew my knee out in the, the falling jump. Dude. And so it was like, things are going really well, I think, but I always say like, you can't outrun bad technique. So it's like, I think over the years, it's just wear and tear. Yeah. And, you know, tearing your quadriceps tendon is like pretty rare for a young person to do, but like literally I could squat like over 500 pounds. Dang. Like full squat. Yeah. Yeah. Respect. Um, and so like, you know, I could, could send you pictures of like, I had like huge, huge quads. <laughs> and so like, you know, over the years of just getting beat up and through bad technique and stuff like that. It was just too much. And so, again, I had that injury, and that was, like, really kind of, like, traumatic injury. And it takes, <laughs> it takes like, a year and a half, two years kind of to get back. So, yeah, it's a tough one. But yeah, but through that process, you know, I, I was still coaching and things like that. And I think I began to, to like it more than I thought. Like, I, again, I did it because it was, like, a necessity, not because I particularly wanted to be a coach. But I think, like, especially with high school kids, I think high school is, like, pretty transformative time and so it's like you know of course you want kids to win and jump super far and all that stuff but like sometimes you your impact is just you know giving a kid confidence or yeah yeah helping them become more disciplined or absolutely believe in themselves and set goals and all that stuff and like you can really like change a kid in high school yeah big time and so like I think I underestimated that impact and so you know doing that I think got me more it got me more hooked because like on the other side, like I was working in like our bank, like doing corporate stuff and like, yeah, the money's like good or whatever. And, but like, I always, I always felt like it was kind of like abstract. Your impact is abstract. Oh, and, right. Like, like you're doing stuff and you're making other people a bunch of money, but like, you don't necessarily feel like you're making an impact. And so I think like with coaching, especially the high school kids, especially like the young girls in particular, it's like, I don't mean to overstate this, but like you could change their lives, you know? And so I just felt like that was in a way like more meaningful, even though I'm getting literally paid nothing to do this. <laughs> what? You don't get paid millions of dollars to coach track and field? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's how I started coaching. So from, from that point to now, like, you know, what was the kind of progression for you? Cause like you didn't immediately start coaching Olympians, you know, you were coaching, was it a high school you said, or a college? Yeah, high school. So there's a private school around where I am that had, you know, that indoor track. And so I was coaching those kids. And then there's a, a high school, like the a neighboring high, public high school that had, a, so basically the, the head coach of the pr private school used to coach in the public school system. And so because he had those, that connection, one of the local public school um, coaches was like, hey, can you coach some of my guys or whatever? So I was coaching private school kids with some public school kids mixed uh, in and so then so like I had my first not first full year but like year I was like let's do this for real I had a girl she got second at the state meet and so like that was that was good and so I did that and then like people saw that and I got a, a girl that was like not very good but then she actually she got she won the state meet in the triple jump and then got second and she had never been to the state meet before dang her yeah year you know what I'm saying? And then after that, I think I had, I think I had brought like three girls that qualified for like New Balance, like nationals. So I'd done that. And then I had kind of connected with this guy, um, Maca Jones. He runs like this thing called Project Triple Jump. Oh, yep. Um, and like, we were just talking about stuff. And I think he like, 
thought I knew what I was talking about or whatever. Thought it was cool. I don't know what it was, but we connected and like through that he had referenced or someone in my area was looking for some work and he was like, Hey, you should reach out to this guy. He's pretty good. And so then I had this girl who she was good. She already jumped 18 mid, but it's her senior year. And then I got her to jump, I think, I don't know, 19, four, 19, five indoors. And then she jumped 1911, like six, maybe 1910 and three quarters or something. She jumped six, yeah, six, yeah. I think cool. she got fourth at New Balance. That was okay. the year that Kate Hall broke the national record. Right. Yep. And that, that meet was, that meet was pretty crazy. So I did that, had that girl, and then I, another girl at her school wanted to get some work, and she had jumped 17, but then I got her to jump 19 the next year. <laughs> then, yeah, I mean, I had a bunch of kids that, I mean, I'm skipping over a bunch of people, but then I had, right, you know, right. some other kids that did well, and I think what happened was, so Thea Filafon, she's an Olympic athlete that I work with, so she's like a legend in this area where I live. She okay. grew up. She grew up in this area, and so she yeah. has all the like county records. And nice. She she won at one state meet. She scored forty points because she won four events. <laughs> so she's like a like everybody knows her. And so she yeah. knows all the coaches around here know her because they've been coaching for a long time. And they knew her when she was in high <laughs> school. And they're like, hey, you should reach out to this guy. You should reach out to this guy. Wow. Yeah. She's good. And then she did, and she was working with some other guys. She went to the Olympics. She just had a bad Olympics. She literally got last place. And so she yeah. was disappointed by that. So she had yeah. reached out to my friend, Muhammad, who I told you about earlier, who was also at the Rio Olympics. Okay. And then Muhammad's like, look, you should talk to Aaron. He's good. He helps me with my stuff. And so we met in October 2016, and she wanted the next day we started working out. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so do you write all her strength and conditioning as well as her jumps programming or just, just like the jump stuff? No, I do everything. All of it. My opinion is like, if you don't know the strength training, then you're doing yourself a major disservice. Yeah. Like I said, that's what I was good at in college. So yeah. Yeah. That was kind of your niche expertise. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that coaches should write all this stuff. You should have that knowledge, but you should also like, like, I think it's important that those things work together. Yeah, for sure. I think sometimes coaches, they do their thing and the strength coach does their thing. And like, if they're not lining up as far as, you know, the volumes of the rests and all that stuff, it's like, what's the point? And I mean, like at the high school level, especially it's like, and even at the collegiate level, there's sometimes these strength coaches are just like their football coaches or something or their football focus. And so it's like, you don't want, your track athletes listing like football players necessarily, right? Like right, they don't right. need as much as much mass as them, or you know, maybe they're not going to be as upper body focused and whatever. And so yeah, I write all her stuff. I do everything. I mean, I was like her agent for a couple of years too. So oh really? Yeah. Was that was that a new experience being an agent? Yeah. I mean, let me not when I say agent, I'm the guy who would talk to all the meet directors and get her into meets. Gotcha. And I was yeah. playing all her travel and all that stuff. So yeah, right. wow. um, yeah, definitely a new experience. It, I think it was very useful just to understand how things work. Yeah. What was one of your biggest takeaways from that? The agents aren't as important as <laughs> they people make them out to be. Like I think. How so? Yeah. I think that well, it depends. So like, let's say you're big, big time, like Sydney McGl- Sydney McLaughlin. Like mm-hmm. Sydney doesn't need. She could. She could write on her Instagram, hey, I want to get into this meet. And sure. the meet director will hit her up and then she'll get into the meet, right? Right, like, right. 
she doesn't need an Asian at all. She needs she needs an Asian as far as like, hey, I want to get this Gatorade deal or I want to get this makeup deal or whatever, right? Like those those people are useful for that stuff, but yeah. she doesn't need an Asian to get her into the meets. Likewise, like Thea doesn't necessarily need that either. Like if you jump far, if you perform well, yeah, you can get into all these meets. You just mm-hmm. need to know how to use the internet and like Google stuff and like send people emails. And so like, why am I going to pay somebody 10, 15% to send an email? Yikes. You know what I'm saying? Yep, yep. And and then some of these guys, you know, if you happen to do well at the World Championships, they're going to take 10 to 20% of what you got at the World Championships. And they have nothing to do with you getting in the World Championships, right? Like, go to World Championships, you just have to hit a mark. Wow. You know? And so it's like, I I understand, like, I mean, people say this to me sometimes, like, maybe, like, I downplay myself. and But, like... People like you've been you've been on a vacation, right? Like you know how to like book a flight, get a rental car, like you know how to do that <laughs> logistical stuff, right? Like you can do that. Yeah, you, yeah. You've been to Miami before, right? Like you know how to go to Miami. So like you can do that for some other country too. So like if you really want to plan that stuff, you can. Maybe some people are more organized than others. And I'm not saying that agents aren't useful as far as organizing that stuff. Sure. Like it's it's one less thing to worry about. Yeah. But a lot but, of it you can do yourself. It sounds like. Yeah. And especially if you're not big, like track, there's not, unless you're like top 10 in your event, there's not a ton of money. Maybe if you're a really good sprinter, maybe you can be a little bit lower ranked and be fine. But like, if you're not making a bunch of money, you better save your money and send some emails. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? So like people, I think people like get caught up with like, oh, I'm pro now. Like, no, you're just post collegiate. Mm. You're not making any money. So like, you don't need an agent. Just just go send some emails. But she has an agent now. I mean, yeah, if you want to get a good shoe deal and stuff, you, you need an agent probably, unless you're already well-established. If you want to get in a Diamond League, me probably need an agent unless you're, like, top three in the world. But she's she's almost there. Yeah, yeah, she is. And I think <laughs> she could. She got waitlisted in the Diamond League before me, when I was just dealing with her. But the, the thing is, like, Diamond League can be tough because... Yeah, I hear there's a lot of politics there. Yeah, there's going to be politics. So it's like, okay, you're trying to go to the Paris Diamond League, right? But Paris has, you know, two or three jumpers that are like solid, but they might not be top 10. And so they're going to bring, by rule, they can bring two athletes from their their region or their country. And then it's like, okay, I'm I'm making this up. And don't, you know, hold me to this. But like, (laughs) if like, you know, Rojas is going to go because she's the best in the world, then I'm sh- I don't know, but I imagine her agent is like, okay, well, if Rojas is coming, then these other other people in her group have to come too. And not uh, to say that they're, they're not deserving or whatever, sure, but it's sure. like, it's not just based off of, hey, these are the top 10 people and they get into the meet. I get it. There's like different little side deals going on and, oh, yeah. and whatever. And so yep. if you really want to be in these Diamond League meets, you better be like, top five top three or whatever wow or or you have a really good agent yeah yeah or know someone or you know someone you're in a really good group or something like that that's crazy all the stuff that you don't know that you don't see when you're outside of it yeah but it's good i mean i think like i said it's, it's it was a good experience for me because now i understand that stuff and the understands that stuff and so when you actually do get an agent you know how it works and you know you learn about 
how the meet reimbursement works and how, you know, prize money and appearances and all that stuff works and what yeah. the timing of the money is like and yeah, all that stuff. For sure. So so what's the, the season look like right now for Thea? Like this is off season? She's been training for maybe four weeks. So yeah, right now she's doing, she's, I wouldn't say it's preseason. I don't, I guess I don't like to use the term preseason or like off season or whatever. You know, she, she competed pretty late because of, she actually got into the Diamond League final. And I saw that. Yeah. Some other meets after that that she did. And so, you know, it was a late season. So she took about maybe four and a half weeks off and a month off. And then she started kind of gradually building up into it. And this week is probably her first like full, full week of <clears throat> training. And then Thanksgiving is coming up next week. And that'll be a lighter week. And then after Thanksgiving, she'll really, that'll probably be like, okay, like now you're, we're in it for real. Yeah. And yeah, but she probably won't compete until maybe February. Okay. So, so what would you say now? That, how long have you been coaching then? Uh, Since like 10? Thinking, I'm looking at this picture. That was 2014. Probably 10 years. Yeah, probably 10 years. Okay. So, so over your 10 years of coaching, what would you say is like your primary coaching philosophy? And how would you say it's changed from the beginning to now? I would say that I've all, I guess my philosophy is like, like jumping is a skill, running is a skill. Yeah. Track and field is a skill. And so you should always be practicing that skill. Sorry, hold on one second. My battery is low. Yep, no worries. One second, one second, one second. A few moments later. So I was saying that like track and field is a skill. And so like, you always should be kind of working on that skill. And so like, even from day one, like we're always doing technical stuff. And so like technical stuff doesn't mean, Hey, we're doing full approach jumps. Like technical stuff is like, Hey, we're going to do these like rudimentary bounds or these baby bounds, like yeah. really well, or Hey, we're going to do these, these running drills really well. Like all the drills and stuff that I do, ideally, like they're meant to like transfer into like your running or your jumping. Right. And so like, I don't want people doing sloppy drills. Like, you know, I don't, for instance, and it's, you know, I know there are good coaches that do this, but like, I don't like, for instance, doing like B skips or something because like, you know, B skips, you don't run like a B skip. So why would you do that? And <laughs> yeah. I think if you, if you look at the, you know, the mock drills, like the guy that came up with those type of drills, like they were doing that stuff because they were in a cold environment and they didn't have like an indoor track. And so they're like, hey, let's do these V-skips to really warm up our hamstrings. Hmm. They're not doing V-skips to, like, teach people how to run properly. Right. And so, like, I'm not saying, like, V-skips, again, can be used for as a warm-up. But, like, I try to, like, either do something that's so different from running or that is going to complement and enhance your running. So, like, I think that, like, a V-skip interferes with your your technique as, as far as how you run or how you jump. Hmm like let's do stuff you can warm up your hamstrings in a different way that's so different from running or jumping that it's not going to confuse you like neurologically sure like let's do that instead you know so i think i've always kind of had like a technique focus for jumping and and sprinting like i i especially in the high school level i feel like if all you do is make a kid really technical they can like improve a ton Mm -hmm. and so like all that other stuff doesn't matter as much Hmm. you know you don't need to 
do a ton of running. Um, but as far as how things have maybe shifted, I still think I'm like a power and strength based coach. I probably shifted to less of that stuff. Like, so we're, again, we're talking about jumping. Like, I think doing like short approach jumps is like cool, right? Like it's fun. It's like, oh my God, from six steps, I did a PR or whatever. Yeah. 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 People get hyped. Right. And it's like, oh man, I did this from six. That means that from full, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> so I think like in high school and maybe even college, like that's kind of true. But what I've learned, I think, at, in, oh, this is over the last couple of years. It's pretty recent. Like that the short approach stuff can just be like really deceiving because what happens is when you're actually really, really good, like, so you're really fast and stuff, like in triple jump, especially the timing becomes different oh man so true and the posture potentially because like you can do you can have really bad posture and you can be on the ground for a really long time from six yeah. steps yeah yeah you can't do that from a full approach especially if you're fast right and so it's like you can't be muscling jumps from six and expect that that's going to transfer to full. right and so like my point is is that like i definitely do a lot of shorter pro stuff but like if i'm going to do shorter pro stuff i wanted to have really good posture mm -hmm. i wanted to have you know i'm trying to replicate some of those ground contacts and the timing yeah. and all that stuff i think that's really important like you said is focusing on on the 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 positions and and the like technique being very like perfect through that because like if you're on the ground for so long that does not translate to to a full speed full approach jump right and I, and I think what happens is like the limiting factor becomes at the highest level becomes like how fast can you generate force? Mm. It's not about how much force can you generate, it's about how fast can you generate a certain yeah. amount. And you only have, you know, 150 milliseconds or something to generate the force. Wow. Right. So like you can't do that. I, I think that's like if you really pay attention to it, it's like if you watch, if you watch a college triple jump, competition and then you watch like a pro competition right after like you can just see the difference in how quickly they're getting off of the ground yeah you can like hear it you can hear yeah. it you can yeah. see it and so it's like you can't that short approach stuff is not important especially if it's not done the right way um so i think that's shifted a lot i think one thing i knew but i kind of verified and maybe this is like a not a secret but it's, people would be surprised it's like the in the last three years hasn't run over 60 meters wow yeah and so it's like i know that kind of goes against maybe like all conventions of coaching but <laughs> i i i look at like when i think about coaching especially at the elite level it's like we have like there are elite characteristics meaning yeah. like we're talking about a woman triple jumping like okay you've got to be running over nine meters per second you know your contact times like i said need to be you know 120 to 150 milliseconds you gotta probably be cleaning one and a half body weight you gotta uh be able to you know hop this you know, probably hop step you know 31 feet like the, the again these are the characteristics and so it's right. like how can i build these characteristics so if i'm looking at like i'm just trying to run nine meters per second what what is me running a 200 gonna do what's the slow tempo 200 or 300 or 400 going to do to help me run nine meters per second right. i don't need to i don't need speed endurance mm. I, I need to have like the work capacity to, to get in three four run throughs and six jumps yeah over the over an, an hour yeah but i don't need to be able to hold top speed for 
30 or 40 meters. I just only need to hold it for 10 meters. Yeah. So like I can just do acceleration work and I can just do flies and I can get all that. Wow. <laughs> it all makes sense. I mean, and that's how, that's what I've done. So I, I don't know. I think some coaches are just old school and they want to have people run in stuff. I'm not saying you should never run, you know, 120 or 150, but like if I'm going to run a 120 or 150, or something like that it better be really fast and i'm probably doing less than three of them I mean, i don't do it at all but i'm saying you can do it and it, i guess it could be useful but you could also run a bunch of fly 10s 20s and 30s right so when you when you do short and fast stuff do you do a lot of rest in between or are you trying to like fatigue them with those as well so like in theory you could do both my stuff is I would I would call I say it's auto regulated meaning like like whatever whatever they want to take they can take, I mean yeah. let's say hey like take at least two minutes, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah, you know but yep. otherwise go when you're ready to go. I love that. But like because some athletes that have that they they need longer rests than others like it's right an athlete. Yep. I mean of course you have data that talks about you know it takes three minutes to replenish your glycogen 97 percent or whatever yeah. it is yeah, so, yeah yeah and like i, I believe that but yeah there's also variation within people right that's not this that three minutes isn't the same right. for everybody totally and you don't need if you're only running 40 meters you probably don't need it all up to 97 percent, right so like right it's not i don't think it has to be that prescriptive like people know when they're ready to go one so one thing that's interesting and this may be related or not but at the Olympics and other competitions, professional competitions, I, I watch the athletes sit between jumps and like do like almost nothing. And maybe I'm not seeing the whole thing because obviously they're, the cameras are on the actual person who's jumping at the time. But mm -hmm. be between jumps, do you have Thea just sit and do nothing? Or do you, does she do any sort of like kind of loosening up between jumps? Oh, I think there's some loosening up. I don't, I'm not prescriptive about it. I, I would say she doesn't do anything until the, maybe there's three people out from her going. But I, it also can depend on where you are. Like, you know, if we're in Finland and it's 50 degrees versus being in Jamaica and it's humid and 85 right. degrees. Yeah. You, you can do less. But I think over the years, she's gotten really in tune with her <laughs> body being warmed up and not warmed up. Okay. So she knows what she needs. Yeah. And so sometimes I, I think I like to, I like to have my athletes kind of explore that. I mean, maybe for a high school kid, I'll be a little bit more prescriptive. Yeah. So I was going to hey, ask. like, put your pants on, man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But for like Thea or some of my more seasoned athletes, like I, I time like almost everything and I've showed them the times most of the time. Yeah. And so it's like they'll run one and then it'll be good and then they'll do another one and they took a long time and i saw them take a long time and then it'll be slow and then i'd be like well that's what you get for standing around for 10 minutes not doing stuff yeah yeah and so then they'll be in their head and then they'll make connect those dots it's like damn maybe he's right okay and so the next time either they're going to take less rest or they're going to like do a little power route or something and then do it so yeah yeah make sure the time is good and they start getting more in tune with how they're feeling before they go each one and try to replicate the good ones. So you, you time their runways, like a practice runway. Yeah. Or I definitely you, do that. 
do you time it on jumps as well? Well, no, not not really because we don't do full approach jumps in practice. But I mean, like at a meet, are you timing their runways? I wish I, I wish I could. Okay, um, I was gonna say. I mean, that would be impressive. We, we have that data from certain meets from. Oh know, yeah. World championships. Olympics. That's pretty sweet. So I do. We do have some of that data, um, and some like I know I'm actually I'm pretty close with Patricia Lamona's coach, and like okay. I know like they hire. Not that they hire like Portuguese, uh, like Olympic Committee or their athletic association. Like, as part of her tier, she can get biomechanics wow. analysis done for like I think two of her meets or something. Wow! So like they'll have a guy that come out and get all that data for them. No way! Meet. And so like he's showing me, he's like, "Oh, this is what she was running at this random meet and this meet and at the Olympics and whatever." Yeah. And it has her like breakdowns of her phases and her speed coming into the board and her step lengths and all that stuff. Wow. And so like I have the data to do that. Like I have a con like a contact grid which can measure your contact times. I have I have lasers, I have free laps, like yep. so yep. I get a lot of that that information. Yeah. Like getting it at a meet, especially in America, is a lot harder. For sure. You can see it like sometimes with like the French championships and stuff like they have like an opto jump like on the runway. What is that? It's you might not know it. It's like this yellow rail that has like these kind of black dots on it. Okay. But an opto jump basically can tell you with like millimeter precision where your foot is hitting the ground. It's like super expensive. It's like I imagine. I don't. I don't. Know, but like for it's like like fifty thousand dollars type expensive. I have to look that up. US, USATF has that stuff. They do their biomechanic analysis with that stuff. Um, okay. But like literally they'll have it at their meet. And so they can do the, you know, retro analysis and say, hey, your your step, your right to left distance was this, your left to right distance was that. Right, right. Third to last, second to last, first to last was this. That's insane. Your phase distribution was that. And they have all the speeds and the distances, like literally like millimeter accuracy. Yeah. So yeah, that data exists. But I, I for the stuff that I time, like I'll time like takeoff um velocity, like last like eight to ten meter velocity. I'll time like if we're doing like running over mini hurdles or we're doing flies, like I'll definitely time all that stuff. And so like right now, which has actually been good, I had this old I got a new monitor, but I had this old like twenty-seven inch monitor, it's like ten years old, it started like having dead pixels on it and stuff. Yeah. But it was like annoying to work on, but I was like, I'll use it for practice. And so I like plug it in and I can like cast my phone to this, to the screen and I yeah. can just put like the times on it. So, you know, you can be 50 meters away and see the time. Yeah. Everybody yeah. Can see practice. And so somebody runs fast, like everybody gets hyped. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So again, I, I think I try to like, like I said, get people to find out what works for them. And I like to use data to like prove to them what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. So what do you, what have you found among high school jumpers is like the most common problem or area that you need to help them improve in the long and triple jump? Is it the runway, the takeoff, the flight or phases or the landing? Like I think like long jump, high school wise, I think the biggest issue is the approach, but the two things in particular. One is that like the approach is often inconsistent for a couple of reasons. Like one, 
most kids have a, a stupid start. Like they, <laughs> they're going to do something that they saw that looked cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so they might do some weird boundary thing that, that they think looks cool because some kid from their county does it or some kid at their school does <laughs> it. And like, what happens is that that boundary run is going to change depending on the hype level. Right. And so they're going to be super inconsistent because of that. You also have an inconsistency issue with people when kids come to the board, they have like board, I call it like board insecurity or, or board anxiety. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to foul. I'm not going to make it. And then they start like taking big steps or little steps. Yeah. And I'm, I say to kids, I was like, look, I mean, this is like slightly controversial, but I was like, hey, don't look at the board. Like, let me worry about the board. Like, if you do shuffling or big steps, it's going to be a bad jump. So, like, yeah, nobody yeah. cares about bad jumps. Yeah. You might as well foul it and have it look super far and get high. Exactly. Right. And then, like, let's move it back. Yep. But, like, nobody cares about, hey, you got on the board, but you jumped 16 feet. Right. Like, that doesn't yep. do anything for anybody. Exactly. So, like, don't worry about that. And so, like, again, for long jump, it's like, hey, let's have a good, consistent start, and let's have a fluid, like, rhythmic, like, ending to the run. Mm-hmm. And also, like, let's do it with good posture. So most kids are, like, really, like, interiorly tilted or back kicked and stuff. And it's like, if, you, if you're not taking off, those, those last couple of steps aren't pretty tall, you're not going to get any pop off the board. Mm. And so I think if you solve that problem, honestly, for the high school kids, I don't really spend much time at all talking about their aerial stuff. Get a good, get a good takeoff. Yeah. And like we practice, we do like standing long jumps and stuff, like work on getting a reasonable landing. But if you take off with good posture and get a good pop, just stay, stay tall in the air and, and land. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't like, again, the girl I told you who got fourth that, New Balance, who jumped almost 20 feet. Yeah. She just did a basic sail. And like, I think I, she needed to probably to level up, you know, she might need to do a hang or some type of hitch because she had a lot of pop. She's in the air for a long time. Right. So her landing was a little bit suboptimal, but it's like, don't, let's get the runway, let's get the takeoff right. And then yep. we can add on some extra pieces later. We don't have to yep. overcomplicate it. For sure, for sure um so yeah that's for long jump for triple jump i mean all those things i just said are true for triple but i think in high school in particular most almost every kid goes way too high in the hop <laughs> really no <Nah. laughs> and most of them aren't really strong anyway and yeah. so they have a terrible terrible middle phase and and so like this is like a super major pet peeve of mine which is like mm-hmm. you hear high school coaches they like, hey, hold the middle phase, hold the middle phase. I'm like, literally what the, hell, thinking that exa- <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Right. Like, you can't just you like sp- stretch out and like, okay, now my middle phase is farther. <laughs> like, that's not the yep. problem. <laughs> the problem just- is, again, either they're too high and they just can't handle that force or they're towing the hell out of their phase or like they don't have a full enough contact or they're not active enough. Like, yeah. That's really what the problem is. And so, like, like I said, I, I, I've had, the, early in my career, I had, again, the girl who won the state championship who hadn't even gone, didn't even qualify the year before. It's like, she beat these big athletic kids that she had no business beating because their technique was pretty good. Like, if you, 
honestly, this is you know maybe I'm arrogant for saying this, but like I feel like like jumping like 37, 38 feet is not hard for a girl. Like I had a, you know, she won't get, she won't get mad at me because I tell her this to her face. I told this to her yesterday. We talked on the phone. This girl is slow as hell, and she jumped 38-4 last year. Yeah, yeah. She had good technique. Okay. She's slow. She's not particularly like bouncy or anything like that. She, but she had the best looking um, form and the best looking drills and stuff. And so she was able to like win legal jump 38-4. Yeah. And in America, that's that's good enough to get you some money and get into schools <laughs> and stuff like that. So it's like right. almost again. She had she had jumped the year before that. She jumped thirty four feet. She just learned. She only been triple jumping for a year and a half. Man, right. And so you know, in the year before, the girl that I told you that won the state championship, she jumped thirty three eleven before she started working with me, and then she jumped thirty eight one at the state meet. That's awesome. Like, you don't have to be a beast to jump that far. So Thea has like one of the most insane hop like positions that i've ever seen you know she gets that knee up and is just like holding it and then it's coming down and i've seen several of your other athletes have the same thing how do you get kids to to do that well because i'm guessing you're just not accidentally finding all these kids who have great hop phases you gotta yeah, be I doing think, something i think that's i think that's the secret man I, <laughs> the secret sauce no like i'm not saying it's the, the secret as in like i'm about to drop some secret knowledge on you but like i like I think that, like, even at the elite level, I would say, they're definitely, of course, you know, much respect to everybody. Like, there, there are some elite women that I think have, like, bad middle phases, and they could do better. Yulimar Rojas. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm not, I know, you know, her coach, he only speaks Spanish. My Spanish is pretty broken. <laughs> Give him tons of respect. You know, he gives me I mean, respect, too. Yeah. Rojas's middle phase is super small. But yeah. Rojas jumps. 1567 so yep. i'm not gonna say anything bad about them or whatever but like, no. but, I, but i also i also have seen rojas over the years i was there when she jumped 1567 i was there when she jumped 1541 indoors is there or 41 or 43 i was there when she jumped 1541 or 43 outdoors number two all-time jump yeah like, i was literally there i saw those those jumps yeah i've seen her many times like i don't based off of how she's built I don't think that she, she can handle a big hop, like like a, a a hop that a big hop where it hits in a way that's going to give her a good step phase. Oh, interesting. So like I know like her her world record jump was not was like particularly messy for her. I think. Yeah, yeah. But like if you look at the speed data, she was running over a, a court, if you believe it, eleven meters per second, which is like nail well, speed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like her running, she doesn't look very fast on TV, but she's extremely I fast. Mean, yeah, she looks super fast, yeah. And so she's running so fast, and she gets on the board finally, like she's going to break the world record. But if you really look at her stuff, and again, I've been there. I was, <laughs> I've competed, or I haven't competed against her, but he's competing against her a bunch of times. Yep, like, yeah. She's had plenty of fouls that have been over 1550. Oh, yeah. And and a lot of them had better phase distributions than that. Right. And and so, but again, like the main point is that, you know, her middle phase is bad, but 
what she does better than anybody ever is that she maintains her maintains speed, speed really well. Right. So yep. like that's the trade-off. This is what this is kind of the crux of triple jump. It's like you can get more pop on your step phase, but the trade-off is horizontal velocity. Right, right. Right. And so if Rojas is gonna have a tiny step phase, but she maintains all of her speed and then jumps six meters on the last phase, maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. Hmm. It just seems like when you're watching it, you're just like, she could jump 16 meters. Probably. And, like, and she had a foul that was farther than that at the Olympics. Uh, right, yeah. But the, the other thing, too, is like from like when she first kind of started showing up on the scene to now, like she's already improved and lengthened that step phase. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it still could be improved. And, and I get what you're saying, too, you know, like, you, it's the trade-off of the 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 maintaining velocity versus getting pop on each phase but i feel like and and maybe that's what they're doing maybe they're just working on a slow progression over time and she's just like being very efficient with where she's at right now and just slowly lengthening it maybe that's maybe that's what it is but yeah she's yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen her try i've seen them, them try to do it in practice and drills like i'm the type of guy like Dave might have an off day. I'm still going to go to the track and I'm going to like spy on other people and see what they're doing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, but, but, but I guess the point is like if Rojas can just beat everybody by two feet and do the way she's doing, why not right. just work on getting faster and doing the same thing? Because she could go so much farther. <laughs> yeah, but she's still getting super paid and she's winning everything. So, <laughs> I guess Why I really do that if there's a risk of, you know, frustration or injury or whatever by trying to change the technique. Yeah, it depends on what her goals are, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, as a like a, a purist, like just trying to get people to jump super far, like I totally understand it. And people say that all the time. But yeah. but at the end of the day, what gets you paid, what gets you into meets and all that stuff is jumping far. It doesn't matter. A hundred percent. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Yep. So. I, I appreciate that. I can, I, you know, I'll say it. Like, I, I, I go to her meet, and I've, again, I saw, I've seen her, I saw her break the world indoor record, mm -hmm. and I was, like, to myself, just, like, really, like, salty about it. I was, like, this girl's doing this looking, like, the way she's looking, that's ridiculous. But she's winning. She's killing everybody. It. Yeah, and yeah. So, like, at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's all that matters, man. man. And, and my goal is to get Thea to a place where she forces her to make some changes. Yeah, I, you know? I agree. I think that's definitely what it's going to take is somebody else jumping 15 mid, but nobody's doing that yet. Yeah, but I mean, I, I look at it, I, I look at it like, again, because we've competed against her a bunch of times. It's like all she needs to do, like if she can take a, a safety jump and jump 15 low, and then, okay, she's going to get minimum second place. And now every jump, she can just blast them. She's just going to run as fast as she can right. and hopes to hit the board. And, yeah. like, she's so talented, like, great for her that she can do that. Mm -hmm. But, like, nobody's forcing her to do anything. Yep, 100%. She, she can jump with, like, reckless abandon because she's already going to win off the first jump. Is there anybody currently that you know of competing professionally that 
you think has the ability to go to to push her a little bit or do you think it's like currently there's just there's just nobody out there i don't know i mean i i i, I honestly i mean i think they can jump 15 20 30 maybe yeah farther. for sure um but you, you know she's got to do it uh i don't know i don't i don't I don't think so. I, I honestly, I believe this is my this is my belief off of conversations I've had and what I've seen. I feel like everyone's kind of resigned to Rojas, like, oh, she's gonna win. So yeah, let me just try to jump fifteen meters and maybe I can get second place. Yeah, that's too bad. I mean, I get it, but that's too bad. Like you know that you think of the top people, you know, Mamona. Pilatero. Uh, Ricketts. Pilatero. Yeah, Ricketts. Yep. Lafon. Like, I don't think Shanika is super consistent. Can she just break out and jump 15-50? I don't know if she could without making some, like, technical changes. Yeah. She just doesn't seem to have the same kind of pop, you know what I mean? Like, to have mm-hmm. one just all of a sudden technically go right, and then all of a sudden it's way bigger. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, she's kind of just like, hey, let me get some good speed and let me maintain speed and, and use my long levers and just. Yeah, and I think that's fine, but I don't, I don't know if that she can, unless she gets really, really fast, if that's going to work to jump 1550. Sure. Um, Mamona, I mean, she's still, she had a hell of a year. Yeah. Ton of respect. She looked incredible at the Olympics. I mean, I saw her warming up, I saw her do a jump and i looked at it, i was like that looked like that was 1480 just chilling just chilling. i said that to to her coach yeah he's always a little cautiously optimistic he's like well she's got to do it like kind of thing <laughs> yeah and could she do it uh could she jump farther than that i mean she could probably jump 15 20 i guess which is crazy because she's, like she's getting older too but she's getting better yeah. so I, I don't know prior prior to rojas though like if a if a girl was going 15 20 or 15 30 we'd be like you are literally insane and now unfortunately anybody goes over 15 meters is like okay it's 15 meters but it's not 15 40 or 15 50 yeah i don't yeah. like that <laughs> yeah i don't again i've talked to some of these people i don't i don't know i when I talk to people, they I hear 15 meters, I hear 15 low. Nobody's talking about 15 mid. Yeah. And so is there talented enough people to do that? Maybe. I mean, I would say the person that doesn't get talked about a lot that maybe could do some big stuff, the, the other the younger Finnish girl, Seni, I don't know if that's how you say her name, but she looked really good this year. Seni hmm. Salomon, Salomon. I don't know how to say her name. I haven't heard of that. S-E-N-N-I is her first name. Um, but she's had some, re- I like, she has really good rhythm. She jumped 1460-something this year. She blew up this year. Okay, sweet. Really good rhythm. Have to check her out. And if I maybe she could do it. But I, honestly, you know, I, much respect to her. Like, I wouldn't say technically, her technique has changed much since when she was, like, 16. Right. I agree. She's gotten a lot faster. And she's gotten stronger, so she's jumping farther. Yeah, but it seems like like her hop to her step is like 
and this is me being critical as a non-professional coach, but like, it seems like it's off by just like a hair, like the, the timing of it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I agree. And I, and I think you see a lot. It's weird. The thing with her is like, she'll have a jump where she won't even finish the jump because she missed times her hop so bad. Yeah, yeah. Right? And But then when she missed time, when she times it like, okay, it's a pretty good jump. Yeah. But I think she's got room. seen her really time it up well so that she can really get a, a nice step phase. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge hop phase. And she's really fast. I just, I've never seen her time it up. And I've seen her yeah. compete a bunch of times. But she jumps with a ton of emotion. She gets really into it. She's super competitive. And yeah, yeah. she showed it. She got that medal. European yeah, that. indoors and she got the um, bronze medal so she's a super competitor and she's super talented and yeah you know she she's she's good so like I guess like she has the talent I guess people have the talent to do it but like for me like uh, I look at it as like I'm trying to optimize everything and so if you look at Thea three or four years <laughs> ago she looks like a different athlete yeah, for sure. Right. And but I wouldn't say the same for all of these athletes. I think they maybe they look like faster versions of their old self. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit stronger versions of their old self, but they pretty much do things the same. But I think Thea's totally different. Right, right. You know, and and yeah. but she's she's see her technique is different, her her running technique's different, her jumping technique's different, she's way faster. I mean, again, according to the to the Olympic data, Thea's best jump that she fouled that was over 15 meters she ran faster than every jump besides one of Shanika's jumps in yeah in Rojas's last jump her world record jump so it's like she's just improved tremendously and I think she can still continue to prove improve you know yep for sure well I mean I think yeah the Olympics was a really interesting one to watch for me because I was like I knew who she was and when she fouled that first or yeah her first jump that was like it was like 1480 maybe that I was like, Oh, she's ready. She came to play. And then when she had that second one where, you know, she got a little off balance, I was like, okay, come on, just like mark like a 1460 get through here. And then, and then that third one was huge. I was just like, and the, the thing was like, nobody really, I mean, one commentator gave it a little credit, but like after that, it was just like, there was nothing about it. And I understand fouls don't count, but like, she that showed me that she's like up there she's top five right now you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like you you know i'm her coach i know <laughs> no i no yeah I, I i hear you i don't and so i'm not i'm you know fouls don't count but for me like definitely there's a level of disappointment and i think thea in particular was really disappointed it took her longer to get over it understandably but, yeah it's tough but i look at it, the situation like that validated that we were doing all the right stuff yes seriously i was like man i can't wait for the next competition or the next season to see because like you don't you don't just foul a 15 meter jump and then never jump that again i mean maybe some pe- somebody can do that but like i i'm very optimistic about you guys this coming season and i'm sure you are too Definitely. Yeah. And so like I, the formula has been validated. So like we can get her back to that spot. And the, the challenge with the Olympics 
and meets after the Olympics is just like, okay, we're kind of peaking for the Olympics. And so all the yeah. other stuff after was kind of just like a, a bonus. So her, her training wasn't like great for that, that month after the Olympics. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't optimal. Well, so yeah, kind of it wasn't meant to be. Right, that's um, all right. So yeah, so yeah, I feel super optimistic about how she's going to do, you know, as long as she can stay healthy and all that stuff. But yeah, it, it, it just it validated everything and showed that, you know, I, I gave her the right plan, that she stuck to the plan, that she really, you know, worked on her nutrition and all that stuff and whatever. And I think hmm. what happened is just the Olympics was just like the surface was really fast. It, it, it was hot. She lost oh, yeah. eight pounds in two weeks because she really got her nutrition crazy. Oh, okay. Wow. Her, her body fat was probably, you know, like 9%. Like it was she was like in crazy shape and so she knows how to do that she yeah. validated that process and we can do that again it's just i think it's it was just a it lot happen. of it was just it's the olympics it's a lot of changes and 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 so i don't i don't again i don't look i look at the back at that and i get hyped Same. she might look back at that and get sad but it, it, it's 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 more to come right that's that's how i look at it 100%. It, would you say she's pretty optimistic person in general? Or does she require some like outside motivation or encouragement to to keep her spirits up? I think she's she's a happy person in general. Um, but but like, I think hmm? I was gonna say, but like with this situation, you know, you said it, it took her a while, which totally makes sense. Like, I, anybody would be bummed about that, you know, you run through situations, but like, does she see the the positive side of that as well? Like I literally just covered 15 meters like in three hops. So I'm physically capable of doing it. Yeah, I think she sees that. She sees that now. <clears throat> I mean, I just think that there's, well, it, it hurts because it's like, it's, it felt so close. Like you never yeah. know what will happen, but like if, if she was on the board, arguably that, that, was, a, that was a metal spot, right? Yep. You know, who knows what Mamona would have done if Thea had jumped 15, right, right, yeah. 10, or whatever it was going to be. But at least it would have been an opportunity. Right. So, and then if you don't know the contracts and all that type of stuff, like, you know, getting an Olympic medal is like a, a big payday. Oh, really? Yeah. If you have a contract, it's a six-figure payday. <sighs> Dang. You know what I mean? And so... Yeah. It, yeah it's just like you just feel like you fit you you failed because you were so you were so close but again now i think she's very motivated now and she thinks that you know she's as good as anybody you know maybe not rojas but we're working on it hey, that's all right keep yeah keep pushing towards that even yeah but, but she feels like she can jump you know 15 20 that i would agree with that of course easier said than done uh, going back to answering your original question was how the kids hop better. <laughs> yeah. I think I think coaches sometimes try to get too smart. Like <clears throat> like people are like, what what cue do you use to get the hop or whatever? It's like tell them to hop better. Like <laughs> you know, that sounds like simplistic, but like like everybody's different. I could say the same I could tell the same cue to two athletes and one gets it, one doesn't. Right, I could say a cue to one athlete that's wrong, but they interpret it right, and that works too. 
Yes, totally. So, so no for me, it's like what I do, for instance, whenever I tell somebody a drill, I say, hey, this is what we're doing. And I might show them and I say, hey, just do it. And let me see what it looks like. And then we'll yeah. work from there. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to be too prescriptive and say, "Hey, do it like this, this, and that," because sometimes people start thinking too much, and it pulls them out of what they're already doing, and it might already be pretty right. Yeah. And so, again, like everybody needs different stuff. Yes. But but, but and when I say different stuff, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should have their own different workout. But like, if we're all working on the same drill, I might say, "Hey, this is like literally what I do. I work on." We, we always, if we're doing jump day, we always start with doing like rudiment bounds. I call them like baby bounds. Yep. And so I might have like six kids do it and they kind of go one at a time. And maybe not one, they'll, they'll go one, one will go every 10 or 15 meters, somebody goes. So I watch that person and I watch the next and I can see everybody go. And yep. now they're on the other side of the runway and I'm like, okay, so-and-so you got to fix this, so-and-so you got to fix that, so-and-so you got to fix this, so-and-so you got to fix that. And they're all different. Everything I say is different for every person. Yeah. Of course, I have certain things that everybody should be doing, but some some people can get this part really well, and this other person doesn't. Yeah. And so, hey, for this, for you, you need to fix this. For you, you need to fix that. Right. And it's not just like some generic stuff I'm saying. It's like this is what you need to do. Yep. And so, of course, like for if we're just talking <clears throat> in general, like yeah, I want people to have a full foot contact. I want it to be active. I want them to step really high, like over the, the opposite knee, mm. and that free leg needs to drop down. Yeah. Like these are things I tell people. I don't necessarily say all this stuff all at once, but this is yeah. like what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I need you to get good extension off of the board so you can kind of slow your hop down. Because if you, if you, even if you do all that stuff I just said, if your hop finishes too early, your foot's just going to be kind of waiting for the ground and you're going to be in trouble. But I think one thing that I, I hear a lot, even from supposedly like elite coaches, is like, like I think the contact has to hit in front of your body if you want to get a good mm. step. Mm. In front doesn't mean that doesn't mean you stick your foot out. It right. just means like it's it's not hitting directly into your center of mass. Uh, and I can I can show you this later. One of the and we can talk about this other thing too. We talk about single versus double, blah blah blah. But yeah, yeah. Like one of the only guys, there's this guy in in the UK at, at uh, I don't know how they say it, Loughborough University, you know, that purple track, indoor track. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. But anyway, this is where, you know, you know, Harry, Harry, Harry Akins, a really big sprinter, black yeah. guy. He yep, trains yep. over there. Um, but anyway, this guy who was like a PhD guy who had did some paper but it was oh he did a paper on like the trade-offs between like horizontal velocity vertical velocity and triple jump he also did an analysis about double arm versus single and he basically did like computer simulations of like what would be optimal technique and stuff like that. yeah yeah and he has a youtube that I actually just found but I, i've been talking to him about this like two or three years ago but basically he has these computer simulations and it's showing that like um, through the, the computer model of the person jumping that like the bigger step phases your center of mass when your foot hits your center of mass is farther behind your body so like if the, you want to have oh the bigger the step phase is yeah okay and so like if you have a hop phase where you hit right under your body your step phase is going to be small 
you'll maintain yeah. a lot of horizontal velocity like the, like what Rojas does. Right. It's going to yeah. be small. So if you want it to be bigger, you have to hit farther in front of your center of mass. Mm. So it's finding that happy medium for you. Right. And like he's just thrown to the computer simulations like that this is like like true. Obviously his model could be wrong, but like right. he's yeah. one of the only people I've seen that actually has a paper that talks about optimizing triple jump and like single versus double like everybody just says singles better girl shouldn't do double blah 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 like where's the paper show me that where does the research yeah. where did you get that from right why is it why is it worse nobody right. nobody says it to you ask them say why yep they'll, they'll never give you an answer the only i i saw one article on it and they just talked about because of women's hips being different from men's hips and women's upper body not being as strong as men's upper bodies but I'm not saying again that that's right. That's just the only only article I've ever seen of a reason why so, they think that. So my my counter to that would be that okay, if women have a larger Q angle, right, that would mean that they probably have less stability in their jumping, right? Mm-hmm. So well, if you're less maybe, but anyway, sorry if if you're less stable because when you hit the ground, you're going to hit more under your center of mass. Yeah, right? you're not going to hit. You're not going to have a wide stance. You don't run wide. You don't jump wide. <clears throat> you run under your center of mass. Right. So you'll have more. You'll have more um, instability laterally. Yeah. In your movement, women in general, even you watch women sprint. There's there's a lot more lateral movement. Yeah. Comparison to guys. Yeah. So if that's true, then actually this single arm action where you come like this, yeah, across and back you're adding to that yeah you're becoming even less stable hmm. so if you have a more balanced arm motion i'd argue that you can be more stable and that if women for instance also um from a nervous system standpoint aren't able to to generate force as well yeah then they should generate force over longer time periods and thus they should actually be a double arm yeah yeah that's interesting like that so logic I, holds up i think i know what you what you read but like it, it was like two sentences it yeah wasn't, right it wasn't an analysis yeah or an in-depth study or anything yeah that's what i think about it but but again like as far as the triple like you have you can't hit right under your body i think and anybody who says that i don't think has thought about it that much it's like interesting. You, the only way even when you're sprinting, like when you sprint, you don't hit directly into your center of mass either. Right. It's certainly closer than you would for a triple jump. Right. But you need to hit a little bit out in front of your center of mass because you need to pivot over your foot and use that time to generate force. Right. Like if you hit right under or behind, you're not, you're, you're going to be, you're past your foot. And so you're not generating force anymore. Right. Exactly. So you need that, this earlier part where you're in front of your center of mass to actually receive those eccentric forces store that energy and then you start pushing off once you foot once you pass over your center of mass yeah right and yep. the same thing is for triple so it's like hey if you want a bigger phase you need more time so to get more time you put your foot up you get up farther in front of your center of mass and it's longer a longer time to pivot yeah but also, like you were saying before, you don't want to spend too much time on the ground because then you lose your speed. Right. 
that's true but it's, like it's fine in that middle ground if 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 a running step is you know 80 milliseconds to 100 milliseconds you're talking about elite people but a triple jump is 100 and you know 50 milliseconds like you have those extra 70 to 50 milliseconds to do something with right mm-hmm. but if you hit right under yourself you're going to be closer to a running step that's so interesting yeah so you don't have time the running step is you know five six times body weight but triple jump is 15 plus body weight yeah so like you need more time yeah to deal with that force right oh man that's really interesting you should do a research paper about it i mean i would be something (laughs) interesting to do i mean i'm I'm an engineer by schooling yeah i don't know that's just how that's how I think about it. So like when people say that type of stuff, it really bugs me. Yeah. But but hey, I look at it like, you know, maybe by the virtue of being on this like interview, I'm like somewhat of some level of notoriety. But like I look at it as like no, I'm a I'm a nobody. So like I gotta prove to people that I actually know what I'm talking about. So if yeah. he comes out here in double arms and jumps 15, 40, like I don't want to hear anything from anybody. Let's go, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because again, I you know I'll say this publicly because I put it on my Instagram. Like, I was in a conversation. This guy told me the double arm single arm thing came up, and he said, "Hey, you know nobody good double arms." I was like, "Well, Thea double arms," and he's like, "Well, she hasn't been very successful." I'm like, "Oh, like, what do you mean? she's like an Olympic finalist. Like, who? Like, who have you coached? Like, what do you say?" yeah yeah it's like well until she jumps 15 meters it's not successful I'm like, oh man <laughs> all right well i'll be let me save this you just I'll wait get, i'll get back to you in the winter let's go you know what i'm saying so i mean i, I think, think that's how it is like people get stuck in their ways and so the way you break them out of big it is time you, you you whip their ass and <laughs> yeah and they have they have to change for sure. For sure. I, I think, I mean, exactly what you're saying and your mindset shows it, but just like people don't really think for themselves. And so when you challenge that, then they're just like, oh, you're dumb. You know, why would you do it that way? But I mean, if, if they took a second and asked you why you're doing it that way and you give them all the reasons that you have because you've actually thought it through, then, you know, they don't have anything to say to that other than just regurgitating what they've heard yeah man like i I, i'm very like science based Mm -hmm. and kind of like you know i try to read all the research papers and i try to i talk to all the top guys when i go to you know these meets i try to you know spy on them i try to ask them questions and so like i try to pull you know information from a bunch of different places and kind of synthesize it Yes. You know, like as again, um, you know, as an engineer, as you know, I in my other work, I do like financial modeling and stuff like that. Statistics. It's just like getting a bunch of information and synthesizing it and finding the patterns between them. And so like, I don't I think a big, a big error that I think a lot of people make as coaches is like, oh, um, I want I love what um, let me, uh, what this coach does so-and-so is the greatest they're the best coach this is what so-and-so does and so that's what I'm going to do right and like okay that coach is good 
But like this other coach is good too, and they do it a different way. Yep. This other coach is good too, and they do it a different way. Yes. And so yes. it's like let's try to find what they do, like how, why <laughs> they do what they do, and what yes. similarities are there, and like try to try to synthesize that and do, and do that as opposed mm-hmm. to I'm trying to do exactly what so and so did. Right. Especially because there's always context behind stuff. Yep. And like I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. Like I don't know if you've seen like you know Jonathan Edwards, right? And like there was a a little like it was in a magazine article and it was like talking about the year before he broke the world record. It's like widely available online. Yeah. And it's like you could look at that and be like, wow, like this is all this is what he did, this is all he did, and it wasn't that much. But like, okay, that's what my guys are gonna do. Yeah. Like, no, like Jonathan Edwards has been training for a decade and his training has evolved over the years and he's already really fast. He was already really strong. Right. He already knew what his body needed. And so like, he didn't need to do that much. And like, let's say if my goal for Theo was just to jump 15 meters next year, Theo doesn't need to do that much to do that either. Yeah. Right. Like once you're already in this kind of tip top shape, you don't need to do much year over year to continue yeah, to do that. For sure. If you want to improve, if you're not there yet, yeah, you need to do things differently. But like, mm-hmm. you know, like, again, I don't know what Rojas's goals are, but if Rojas was like fine with how she did and she got the record, she doesn't have to train that much next year. Right, yep. As long as she doesn't go crazy eating and stuff like that, she just stays fit. Yeah. She could train probably like twice a week and jump 1550. Yeah, yeah, or more. You know what I mean? So it's yep. like, you can't just look at what people are doing. You have to look at it within the context and who they're working with yeah, and whatever. And, and so again, like my point is just like, I try to base everything I do off of either science or like a synthesis of like what all the, the top people are doing. And, but, but I also always wanted to make sense. Yeah. Like I always yeah. want to be able to, to justify what I'm doing. And some, right. sometimes it might be so-and-so did this. It seems interesting. Let me try it out. Yeah. See the results. Yeah. But if I'm trying it out, like it's explicit that I'm trying this out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you let them know. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, like I said, I hopefully I start getting good enough where people start listening to me or they don't have to listen and I'll just beat them and it's okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's it's clear that you've got a wealth of knowledge and lots of experience to back it up too now. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I'm happy to like I'm happy to have this conversation. I'm happy to talk with people. I'm just yeah. Even the Instagram stuff, I'm like kind of lazy with that. I do that. <laughs> yeah. I do that more because I know that like uh, my athletes like it. They like yeah. to get shout outs and stuff like that. I don't do yeah. that for like the clout. Right. Not, right. Yeah necessarily interested in having a million followers and right and all that stuff because i don't know and and like even at practice it's like i don't record they <laughs> record a lot of the stuff i'm a bad recorder like i'll have the camera someone's going and i'd be like oh <laughs> yeah. i missed the whole thing right right you know so, so like for me recording is like a distraction from me coaching yeah right. i like to have yeah. the video so hey so and so get the recording for me yeah but i don't have time to be running beside people at practice and trying yep. to get the, the crazy action shots like that's cool and i love watching people's videos that have it right so, like 
no disrespect to them doing that. I yep. just think that's a major distraction for me mm. because when I the way that I coach is every rep, every person, I'm trying to give them good feedback. Right. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're also filming. Yeah. And yep. for me, also like looking at the camera, I don't get as good it's of not like, the same. A feel for it. Yeah. And I usually like the, for me, the camera's kind of like backup or it's used <clears> for me to like say, like, look. I've been telling you this 300 times, but look, here it is. Yeah. Sometimes you show the person, oh, here it is. And they're like, oh, I see what you mean. I was like, but I say that to you 20 times already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, but like I, the camera doesn't usually show me stuff that I don't already see. And and I think that that evolves. Like, I don't think that, you know, a young coach can necessarily do that. But Mm. even, you know, I've only been coaching for 10 years. It's not a lot, but I've had a pretty success rate but like once you've even watched i have i have no idea but if you watch hundreds like thousands tens of thousands of jumps and videos like you yes. can start to just connect those yeah. dots and you don't have to use like i, I rarely record in slow motion because like i don't even I, sometimes i think slow motion hides stuff and i don't like yeah that is tough mm-hmm. so i again some when my kid said this to me before it's like someone would do a jump and i'd be like oh fix xyz and they're like, how do you see it that fast? And they go in the video and they look at the video and they can see that, but they yeah. couldn't see it yeah. in real time. Right. You know? Yeah, you just have a trained eye now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a while, but for sure. All right, let's transition to uh story time. So tell me about your your Tokyo experience. What was that like? Some highlights and lowlights if there were any. Um, so just a general overview, like for us. Castilla represents Dominique, which is a tiny island in the Caribbean. It's literally 70,000 people in the whole country. That's how you pronounce it, Dominica? Yeah, so there's the oh, confusion man. is always there's, there's the Dominican Republic. Right. And then there's Dominica. Yeah. And they're two separate countries. Dominican Republic, you know, is next to Haiti and they speak Spanish. Yeah. Dominica used to be a French colony, then it was mm. um, owned by the British. So their official language is uh english but they speak a lot of french and french creole over uh, there so it should be la fond instead of la fond right yeah, french uh, yeah. okay yes that makes sense and uh, the country originally was called le, le dominique which i think it just means like beautiful or something like that okay um in french um but anyway um so we're part of the pan pan am which is North and South America, they had like a training camp. And so we went like two weeks before the Olympics at this training camp in this town that was like maybe an hour from Tokyo. Yeah. Um, and so like all, basically all the little islands and islands in like Central America came. Cause like the USA did their own thing. Canada did their own thing. Sure. Um, you know, like Brazil did their own thing. And so it was like, Basically, the Caribbean and Latin America went to this. Oh man! Um, training camp, dude. That had to have been fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was cool. And the only reason I hesitate is just because, like, it was in Tokyo, so there's lockdown. So, like, oh sure, sure. We stayed at yeah, like a whole. It was it was funny. I don't know if you watched any of the stuff that I posted on my story, but like, yeah, um, it's like when we would we would be stay at a hotel, and like if you wanted to go to the track, there was a bus to get to the track. Or the weight room and like there were these guys that literally would walk like escort us and they would like 
like put their arms out and like block people from interacting with us. <laughs> so like we're walking, like literally we're just walking like a block to get to the bus. And these yeah. guys are, are walking next to us, like blocking us from like the rest wow. of the public. Dude, they were serious about it. Yeah, they were very serious about it. Um, but like the Tokyo people were extremely nice and stuff like that. Mm. So like, again, we did the training camp. I think maybe it was like, we were there like 10 days earlier. It would it was like online. The training camp was two weeks, but the first week was like swimmers and like boxers or something. Okay. And then the second week was like track people. And then after, at the end of that, we actually left early because we went to the opening ceremony, <laughs> which what, what would be typical but there wasn't COVID, like, depending on your country, you might come up a, early, a week or two early or something. Okay. And then everybody would go to the opening ceremony. And then everybody would stay in the village for like a month, basically. Yeah. Unless you wanted to leave. Wow. Okay. You would stay for the duration of the Olympics, which is yeah. like a, three weeks or something. Yeah. Um, but what happened this year was like, they were only allowing like people that were competing early to go to the opening ceremony like they were uh, basically saying like you couldn't be in the village unless it was like yeah. five days before you were competing or something yeah like that. yeah and so we had to get special permission to leave the camp to go to opening ceremony because our country's so small she was the flag bearer like she's the only person yeah 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 like so she doesn't go like nobody's going <laughs> yeah represent the country dang yeah so we left that early to go there and then like but and then being in the village was great like i thought it was cool um i think the village was awesome but like we couldn't go anywhere like we couldn't literally yeah. we couldn't leave to go we couldn't leave to go sightseeing and do anything like that and we couldn't could you interact with other athletes and coaches or was it like so locked down no um well it varied so every country would kind of had their own policies so like yes you could interact for sure but like so like when you go to the dining hall like every every seat had like partitions of like like plastic partition kind of yeah thing. yeah yeah because you didn't have your mask on so like you know just you felt like you were visiting somebody in prison or something like basically yeah like, yeah just like that but like you had to get covid tested every single day every day every day literally every day yikes you had to get COVID tested two times before even getting on the flight. Then you get COVID tested when you landed at the airport. And then every single day you get COVID tested. So like with the thing up in the nose and everything? Um, They were doing saliva tests. Oh, primarily. okay. Oh, that's less. We had, before we got on the plane to get out of there, we had to do one of those deep, deep nasal tests, like touch your brain kind of test. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was... Uh, but yeah we had to do it every day but it's good as far as interaction like dominica happened to be in the same building that netherlands was in oh netherlands pretty much owned let me not say owned but like if you've never been in an olympic village like what they do is every country has like every everyone is part of the delegation is in the same area right so like if you're a big country the united states for instance has the whole building it's just the united states like that's how big their delegation is yeah and that might also be true for some like great britain or some of these other countries that are yeah. big netherlands was pretty big so netherlands probably was like 80 percent of our building uh, and then there was just like random like tiny like we yeah. had one suite just for dominica 
but anyway so like when we go in the netherlands it's like to our building it's like netherlands has stuff in the elevator and they have like signs up they have like their own like massage area like spa area they have like brought their own bikes extras they have their own like stuff and like netherlands is like not playing around like yeah (laughs) they have like they had like smoothie machines and like they brought, I was like, I don't even know how the heck they got all this stuff over here. Yeah, yeah. But, but like their policy was that that we weren't they weren't even allowed to go in elevators with other people, like other uh, countries. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but yeah, people could interact, like, but there was not like a lot of I guess like there was a recreation area where they had, you know, like ping pong and pool and like darts and like that type of fun stuff but it wasn't as much as it it might have been other years like i've been to other i haven't been i i've been to the i went to the london and rio olympics just for fun because like my i told you my muhammad my friend was there and so i've seen the other villages and stuff like that that's awesome it was kind of like frowned upon i guess to like really be chilling and there weren't like parties and you couldn't go out but like, as far as interacting in like the dining halls or the weight room and stuff, people would like chill and talk and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's cool, at least. But like I said, the, I think the big, the biggest thing for me is like the people, the Japanese people were like super duper friendly, like, like friendly, like <laughs> you would be in a dining hall. This is kind of like annoying, but it is what it is. Like you had to wear gloves to like, get the utensils and like get the food and all that stuff yeah but they're like these really super paper thin gloves right okay um because they're disposable yeah um and so like let's say you're gonna go put your food away for the trash uh like throw your stuff away and you have those little gloves and they're so light that you walk and they'll blow off your table your tray right so <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. it'll blow off your tray and somebody will like run and come pick it up and be like oh i got it for you like no problem no problem oh really and throw it away <laughs> they're super hospitable and yeah they, and they'll well, take your tray and put all yeah. stuff for you like they were just like it was like super ultimate service yeah yeah like niceness so it's like a shame that we really awesome. weren't able to do other stuff but right yeah but yeah, I thought it was cool. I again, I like I said, as far as interaction, like I think most countries are kind of like, hey, other countries can't be up in our building. Ah, uh, but you could interact with people outside of the building. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense, but yeah, it kind of ruins a little bit of the the fun of the Olympics. It sounds like definitely yeah it did but i personally you know i'm really proud of making it there and yeah it was still a great experience for me i mean the food was was really good and stuff and yeah i i I get i I would have rather you know been able to you know explore japan because it's like a great city yeah you know yeah even great yeah it's a great city yeah a lot a lot to do a lot to see I never had I had never been to Japan. You know, like Paris. I plan on going to Paris. Paris should be fun, but I've been to Paris before. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um random side note on that is like I feel like Paris, it was kind of convenient that uh the 2020 Olympics were pushed a year because now it's only a three-year gap to the next one. So it's like I feel like it's gotta be easier to prepare for, right? Or is it harder with missing that year? 
I mean, I guess it's easier because there's less time. I guess it depends on, I mean, it depends. Like if you're really young, it's harder, right? Because <laughs> you have less time to get better. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it, it but, will play to the advantage of the older, more seasoned athletes. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's harder in the sense like this year is, is a lot of things got rescheduled. So you have World Indoor Championships. You have World Outdoor Championships. You have the Commonwealth Games. You have the European Championships. You have the NACAC Championships. Yeah. Like all that's in, in the same year. And so like yeah. obviously, so like Thea, she's a Dominica. That's part of the Commonwealth. So she has worlds and she has the commonwealth games and then she has the NACAC championships after that wow. and then the european people which also could be part of the commonwealth have the european championship so i don't think it's even possible to do europeans and do the commonwealth games maybe it is but i don't i don't, I don't think the timing works out um so like yeah this year gets really condensed and so it's kind of, kind of yeah. hard and that, that would be hard. tough yeah so you aren't a full-time coach, right? You you work, you said, and you do some banking, modeling, and financial yeah. stuff. Uh, how, do, how do you balance that? Like coaching professionals and high schoolers and doing another full-time um, job? Well, I'm lucky in the sense that, well, I'm lucky and I also planned it out to a degree. But like sure. I used to work, what I used to do when I was doing more high school stuff, I just worked full I worked full time, but like Tuesday, Thursday, I would leave work at like three o'clock to go coach the high school kids. And then um, the other somewhat like two days a week, I went to sleep until like seven. So like I was still working full time, but yeah, and my work was cool with that and it was fine. And then what I've kind of transitioned to is like I work, I just work half time. I work 20 hours, 25 hours a week, but because I spent all that time early in my career kind of like getting like a good reputation or whatever yeah i can work half time and still make a good amount of money yeah and then i can just coach at night i could probably work i might up my hours a little bit um but i don't have to um because like for me as i mentioned earlier it's like i think like it's more fulfilling to like coach yeah it's more fun and so like why not have more fun like obviously, and I'm privileged in that sense that I can have a job where I can work half time and still be make more than most people. But again, that's, that's awesome. like kind of what like what my goal was, and I still have the option to work full time later or whatever. But it's it's still kind of a lot. Like in the morning, I do you know I do the business stuff, and then right now I don't coach at a specific high school, so I just coach. You know, I have a bunch of sessions I coach at. Maybe sometimes sometimes four thirty, but usually five thirty group. I have a sometimes a five, a six, a six thirty, yeah, or seven group. Like so, you know, one day maybe I'll coach fifteen people. Do you, do you stagger it? Sure. Do you coach through like a club, or do you have like your own? I don't know some sort um, of organization that you set up, or just I, so the high most of the high school kids I coach are through club. Okay, I have a couple of private kids. And then, like, my elite group, if you want to call it that, like, that's just private. But I'm not, I'm not super formal. Like, again, that's kind of like what I was talking about, like, Instagram and stuff. Like, I'm not saying that having a brand is not important, but it's like, I have a plenty of people that hit me up on Instagram. Like, I don't necessarily need to have yeah. some big some company and all these logos and all that stuff. Like, 
Yeah. It's cool, but I want to be, I want people to know me because I'm a really good coach, not because I have a cool logo, you know? So yep. it's pretty informal. If you want to get that work and hit me up and we can do it. Nice. So what was your degree from Cornell? Electrical and computer engineering. So do you write code for this company that you work for or what kind of? I do. I don't write code as much as I used to because I usually help manage people that write code. Okay. But I used to write a lot of code. I know maybe like four different languages. Which ones? I know. Well, yeah, I think that's it. Nice. So do you, do you think that your engineering degree and or mindset is a major benefit to your coaching? Definitely. How, how do you see it? It. Uh, kind of coming into play I mean I think that you need like you need to understand like the physics of it so you guys engineer you have a, a lot of like physics background I don't think you need to know like graduate level physics I think you know you need like intro physics stuff you learn in high school I think is probably enough um, but like because I've gone through stuff that's a lot harder than that like maybe this it's like easier for me so like when I'm reading I can read research papers and it's not like a problem for me okay but sometimes I might send so stuff to other coaches and they'll be like I have no idea what's happening here <laughs> yeah and so and also because like I use a lot of statistics like like I think that helps a ton for research papers when you're talking about like is this statistically significant? Like, what's the effect size and all that stuff? Like, actually understanding what that means. Um, but I, I also think that, like, as an engineer, maybe this is just me personally. Like, I like try to be really efficient. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I've I write like you know I've written uh, my I wouldn't call them like apps, but like if I'm on Google Sheets, I create all these different formulas. Like, I have a weightlifting sheet that like you can set it up and you know, we'll, we'll calculate like projected maxes automatically. Like people can like put in, oh, I improved my lift today and it'll like change colors and it'll tell you yeah. your goal. Your goal could be dynamic based off of how much you weigh and what ratio you want. And so like Love that. I can build that stuff pretty easily. And like, that's fun for me. I create things like, like one thing I have, like you heard like people running over mini hurdles or wickets or whatever. Yep. So I can say, hey, I want somebody's, I know what this person's trochanter length is, or I know what their height is. And so I say, okay, based off of that, I can put this into this thing and like, okay, this is the, the wicket pattern they should run Yeah. for their leg length. Or I could say, hey, I want their leg length, but I actually want it closer. I want it like 95%. And so it automatically adjusts. And so I can just wow. change a couple of numbers. Boom, here's a pattern. And so like, sometimes I think people are like, oh, we run wickets and this is what we run. Yeah. They have two or three. Yeah, I have like Unlimited. infinite amount. Yeah, I can just say, "Hey, I, this is what I want this person to run right here," or I want to adjust uh -huh. it by, by like an inch. And so I just change the number here, and it just automatically spits it out. So Boom. how 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 much would it cost for me to get that from you? <laughs> Zero. I mean, Zero. I do. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So like, I build stuff like that, and even. I mean, again, I feel like you have like high school physics and like algebra, like that's all the track is, man. It's not that. But right, I feel right. like some people go through it, that stuff, and they're like, man, I finally got through this class. I'm never going to do this again. And they just don't think about it. But like for yeah. me, I, I live in like mathematics, right? Yeah. And so it's like, 
I'm always doing calculations about and projections about what I think people can do, where they should be, how fast they should be running. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, looking at step length, stride frequency. Yeah, I'd be super interested in that kind of stuff. Like, you should start posting more of that. I'd be really curious to to see that. I, I have no problem like sharing that stuff. Yeah, that'd be sweet. I'll, I'll I'll try to remember to hit you up for it after after the interview. So going back to Tokyo, what what is it like trying to like taper for that? Like, do do you taper for like a month or just for like two weeks or a week or a few days? I think the taper was roughly like two weeks. The way I think about the taper is like again it's individual, right? So like mm-hmm. you, you might look at literature and say you know optimal taper is like ten to fourteen days or blah 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 or something, right? Maybe maybe empirically that's what somebody has, has seen with different athletes, and I mm-hmm. think that's roughly right. But like yeah. I also think that there's like there's a window, right? Like yeah, I look at it as like hey, you probably need like at least ten days for a taper. But that that taper will last probably like two to three weeks. So oh, wow. like just don't just give yourself enough time to hit that window. Like don't yeah don't try to be too perfect with it. Hmm, that's good because like like you know based off of a lot of studies that like you know you could stop lifting for six weeks and still maintain your strength, right? Wow. Okay. Didn't know but, that. So you shouldn't you shouldn't be that concerned about that stuff. You also know that like when you taper like you're going to get this effect of like your muscle fiber type changing to more um of those uh, fast twitch fibers oh, and so okay. like that's that's like what you're what you're trying to induce and that yeah that take, it takes some time mm. and but you but that effect lasts like i said an order of weeks and so like you, you shouldn't be like okay i got to get all this work in and then i'm gonna like try to rush the taper like yeah you're not you're not losing anything and you also should know that like you know you could lift you know once a week or once every five days or something depending on the lift that you're talking about and you can still maintain those strength levels Mm -hmm. interesting so so again i have i could look it up but i I have what we did leading into it but for me it's like it's mainly you're going to reduce the volume a lot and but but you're going to have really high uh intensity stuff like really high quality high intensity stuff Mm -hmm. that's pretty common i think right yeah i hope so for for a taper (laughs) yeah yeah so nice okay so then i'm trying to think specifically about tokyo i mean just talk more about it like uh you said the the athlete village was a little bit different obviously because everything was so uh separated and um trying to keep the distance that way what do you guys do for like meals and eating? Is it just what they have there or can you guys order stuff in from outside of the village or, you know, what's all that like? So the dining hall, I believe is open 24 seven and they have, they have a million options. I think, I I think this is on my Instagram. If you ever want to look at it where I like literally show you everything. Um, (laughs) I did see a couple of them. Yeah. I didn't post all that stuff up because I'm just bad with Instagram. Sure. I have it on my phone still. But nice. anyway, um, like they have, because literally the, the Olympics is a, like a world event, they have sections for everything, right? So they have like a halal section, you know, for like yeah. Muslim, like Middle Eastern kind of people. I suppose that makes sense, yeah. They have, of course, they have like a, a Asian, like Japanese section. 
yeah they have just like a salad section with all different types of stuff and fruits and vegetables they have you know hot they have like always always every single one of these things i've been to you know pan american games cac games all that stuff they always have pizza and fries you know it depends <laughs> on that classic spaghetti yeah spaghetti yeah. pizza and fries will always be there and like grilled chicken yeah you know? that's awesome um and then olympics they have you know they have ice cream they have all types of desserts like it was it's like like a massive massive like that yeah um and then other years like in brazil they had like a mcdonald's was there that was like free and unlimited that's what yeah they didn't didn't have any of that outside vendors i don't know if that was covid related or what probably i don't know i am I imagine I imagine that some countries probably had brought in their own food and maybe even had their own chefs. Yeah, yeah. But that that's me speculating. But like okay. what what you do have, you have these people that are called chefs, chef de missions. They're people that that they they run like the logistics for your country. Independent okay. country, you have multiple assistant chefs and stuff like that, and you have assistants. So you have local Japanese people that um, will help you get whatever you want. Yeah. And so, and and a lot of times these Japanese people or who, whatever country you're in, they have, they wanted to be with your country or they might be somewhat affiliated with your country. Okay. So like the lady that was one of our um, assistants, she actually lived in Dominica for a couple of years, but she was Japanese. She's okay. like random. Yeah. But like, and I'm, and, but like, if you're this, let's say you're chef for, or you're assistant for China, like you speak your food in Chinese, like they're going to be, right. you know, they're not just a random Japanese person that doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about your country. Makes sense. So again, like these people will go to the store for you and get you stuff. If you, that's what wow. you want. That's crazy. Like they'll, they'll do, like their job is to kind of do whatever you want them to do. I mean, they're volunteers, but like they're going to yeah. do their best and get you whatever you want. So if you say, hey, can you get me these random snacks from the store? Like, yeah. They'll do it for you. Did you take advantage of it or no? Um, Usually the, the chefs and the delegates take advantage of that, but they would bring, they brought us like gifts and snacks and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, it's again, so you can always get food at the dining hall. You also have like these like fobs where like you can get because coke i think typically uh has a contract with olympics so it's like they'll be vending machines and so you just literally just wave the fob and then you can get as much like powerade wow okay soda and water and whatever you want i mean i think thea started getting sick of the food because literally she was eating the same thing every day for like 10 days because she was trying to like lean out I wasn't sick of the food because there was tons of options. Dude, like, I would say, <laughs> I feel like being a coach at the Olympics is like perfect. You just get to pig out on whatever you want. Yeah, like they had sushi every day, you know, like if you like sushi, that's, that's great. Dang. They have, you know, over there they had sushi, they had like, if you, they had a ramen station, they have like all types of noodle stations. Um, again, they have food from all over the world. You're making me hungry right now. It's not good. Yeah, man. So I, I totally enjoyed that. I, I thought the food there was, was awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about the, the experience as a coach specifically at the Olympics. Like, was it more or less formal and intense than other, you know, international meets you've been to? Or is it basically the same thing, you know, 
here's your credentials. Here's where you can go. Um, is it better or worse or the same? As far as, I, as far as what an intensity, like what do you? Organization? Uh, yeah, yeah. Probably gives some more specific. Um, the the flow and like the ease of like you know knowing what to do, where to go, and then be able to do your job as a coach. Oh, I think so. I, I don't. I mean, I can give you the back the details. Maybe it's not super interesting, but like I think that at like the Worlds and the Olympic champ Olympics, they, it, there's a lot of like process type things related to to coaching. And so, like for example, like you have to. So th this is actually becomes a problem, and I, I'm not gonna put people on blast or whatever but like certain times the certain countries where it's like okay if you're not i'm fortunate that i coach for dominica and i'm actually a national team coach because he is the best athlete and she has that type of leverage okay right, right. but other countries it might be hey you're just a personal coach and we have another guy who's the jumps coach and maybe they coach another athlete or maybe they don't coach any of the athletes actually yeah and so it's like Okay, so the, the way it works is at the Olympics and World Championships is that there's the coaching section. This year didn't necessarily matter that much because there were no fans. Yeah, yeah. But you only get one pass per athlete. Okay. So the, and, and the, you have this thing called the TIC pass, which is the Technical Information Center pass, which is where you <laughs> go to pick up all this stuff. Like you have to feel, you have to like declare your athletes, you have to like say mm. what shoes they're wearing. Yeah, and this is the stuff that I would do because I'm the head coach or whatever. Yeah. You have to you pick up the schedules and you get the bibs and yep. you also get the tickets for each day. So they'll give you a ticket or a pass that says, hey, this is for women's triple jump prelims. Yeah. One per athlete. Man. Some countries would be like, okay, we're giving that to our jumps coach or our head coach. Yeah. You're the personal coach, and so you don't even get that. So there are people that will be at the World Championships Olympics, and their coach is, is not allowed there because their delegation was just being weird yeah. about it. Dang, that sucks. And so, like, I guess to, like, to answer your question, like, yeah, you have to go through a lot of these other procedural things. But, like, for a Diamond League meet, it might be like, okay, they in your packet, here's the coach's pass, and I just pull up to the meet, and I just walk over to the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so informal. Yeah. Um but the Olympics and stuff is like there's a lot of procedures and stuff that you have you have to follow certain passes. Gotcha. Okay. But I mean, I think it was really well run. Yeah. This, this is not specific to to Japan. It's just how it would yeah. be at, at Worlds or Olympics. Right. Yeah. Things. Yeah. And that that's more so what I'm asking. You know, like as somebody who's never been to an Olympics, you know, just wanted to curious to see what it was like as a coach. Yeah. Yeah. But it. I mean, I think. Some of the difficulty can be like at the Olympics compared to even some pro meets. It's like you you can't really get very close to the athletes. Yeah, for sure. Like sometimes like they can come up to you and, and talk to you, but like you can't like get near the runway or get on the track or anything like that. They're very yeah. specific about about that type of thing. And like yep. at a pro meet, in any pro meet, there's always like a call room. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but like... Mm -hmm. You would never see the call room except at a pro meet. So the call room is like the way it works is you'd have you have a start time. Let's say you're starting. I'm making this time up. 7 p.m. Sure. You might say, "Hey, the call room time is at uh, 6:05, and the call room closes at 6:15." And if like you're not in the call room by 6:15, like they can legally like scratch you from the meet. 
Wow, yeah. Know, you go into, so the af- only the athletes can go into Karam. So they go into Karam, they check your uniforms and make sure your logos are right. Your spikes, yeah. You make sure your spikes are right and your bag and all the all your perils within the rules defined by the uniform guidelines. And yeah, you can't have electronics and all that stuff. And so they're in there for like 15 minutes, or like literally, there's people like checking everything and going through your bag and making sure everything's right. And then, then they'll walk them out onto the, um, to the infield and then they typically have about 30 minutes to warm up and then well yeah about 30 minutes so so you'd have to be warmed up before you go to the call room then right so yeah so that's that's the whole process in itself so like you should do some part of your warm-up before yeah then you go to the call room you're chilling for 15 minutes then you have another 30 minutes to like do some more warm-up and get your run-throughs and yeah, you yeah. Do before the competition. And so, like, if you've never done that before, like, that's certainly something you have to learn because it's a totally different process than just pulling up to a meet and competing. For sure, wow. it was very standard process for a professional. Like, <clears throat> okay, but sometimes you know you get held up in there, and then what they'll do is they might close the pit ten minutes before because then they have to do introductions for everybody. Oh, Especially right. if it's like the Olympics where they're going to do a big introduction and yep. You know, they have to stop everything. Yeah. And so it's like you really have to know, you have to really be in tune with your body as far as like what it needs to, to be warm and, and yeah. staying warm and yeah. all that because there's a lot of breaks and interruptions and stuff. Yeah. But a pro meet. That's huge. I think that's something a lot of people probably don't think about. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Uh, can you share maybe a favorite coaching story, whether it's at a pro level or a high school level, just something that you think of fondly and that you remember is just like, yeah, that was a really fun one. Um, I mean, I think I guess I did. I think, well, Too many to I pick think, from. No, I'm trying to think of something I didn't already talk about, and that's, that's good. I mean, I think what was a fun story only enough like something i feel really good about was like people definitely don't really know like thea this year or this past season like or up until this season thea had never been to a diamond league meet and so one of her goals for this year was actually to get in the diamond league meets and like do well and stuff like that like we've been waitlisted and there have been times where i thought that she should have been in diamond league meets because like as i told you yeah i'm a political it's like UPR, right. if you just your season best is better than like three of the people in the meet, you kind of like, doesn't matter. Yeah, like, how the heck did these people get in there and I didn't get in there? And that's how we kind of felt a lot, right? And so, like, you know, this year is the first year she got into Domini, she got into the Doha Domini League meet. And like, leading up to that meet, like, like indoors, her first meet, she jumped 1452, which is big, which is a PR, and you know, people yeah. were hyped. And then, like, agents were kind of talking to her about getting deals and things like that. And and they're like, hey, just you got to do it again. And then that first first meet, she actually had really bruised her heel up. And oh. so it's like going into that the next meet where we felt like we had to like legitimize that jump and and do it again. Yeah. Like we we weren't able to really do any jumping on that leg. Yeah. And I was like, look, we just got to do this to get this money or whatever. And you know, she goes and fortunately she was able to jump fourteen fifty four and do that. Yeah. Do it again. Um, I think at the time it was the world lead. Um, but anyway, like her, she kind of, her foot was still messed up and this is in February. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't really compete that much until the 
Dami League meet in May. And that whole time, literally, we weren't able to do any triple jump stuff on that her triple jump leg, like on her hop leg. And so, like, fortunately, what we do is I do when we do drills, we do drills on both sides. Yep. Yeah. And so we had just worked on that side the whole time. And like coming into the Diamond League meet, I think she was like, you know, we had to fly all the way to Doha, which is like a 12-hour flight. And the time zones are really different. And we hadn't competed in like two months. And then for her not to literally had not jumped on her leg at all. Yeah. To go there and jump 1457, which at the time was, it was slightly windy, but it was the farthest jump ever was like, yeah, yeah. I think like really like, good outcome for her considering like i said her foot was messed up her plantar fasciitis or heel yeah, bruise, yeah. whatever you want to call it and sure it just shows that like we had a really good plan and she's in really good shape and that like we can kind of work through anything that's awesome yeah that would give her or me as an athlete a lot of confidence you know moving forward that like little things or big things like that might not affect it as much as you used to think it would so What's what's one thing you would share with an up and coming coach and then an up and coming jumper just about how to, how to approach training or writing programs? Um, I think as far as training, like be like really good at the fundamentals mm. and like whatever you do, have a good reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I just think that there's a lot of programs that kind of just have fluff or stuff that is what I did in college or this is what my coach used to do or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, whatever you do, have a reason. Like, hey, we're doing this. It doesn't have to be necessarily tied exactly to jumping far, but you could say, hey, we're doing this because having variety in the training program reduces m- monotony and increases engagement. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a reason. That's, that's fine. Yeah, nice. You know, but like, don't, hey, look, it shouldn't just be like busy work or we just do this because that's what we've done you know yeah Um, as far as and as far as building programs is something i think is super important like and i and maybe this is a a secret of mine too which you you might be shocked like i don't i don't write out yearly programs i don't i know coaches love to do that and they get like really hyped and excited like i got the master plan look at my excel sheet look at all the waves and the blah 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 i'm like okay like that's cool and like i'm not it's not bad to do that I think everybody should do that at least initially so they know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And like I've taken, you know, USATF classes and stuff. I know how to do that. But like I think what happens is that people made the master plan or they got the master plan from somebody else and they feel like they can't deviate from it. Right, yeah. That's a, that's a big piece. And so like you have to you your best information is what you see. And what you, what the athlete is communicating to you. Mm. So of course, of course, there are going to always be hypochondriac kids or soft kids or whatever you want to call it, and you have to like kind of get rid of the noise, right? Like you can't listen to every single thing that they say and like adjust to every single thing that they say. Yeah. But like for me, when I go to practice, m- most days I ask everybody, "Hey, how are you doing? How are you yeah. feeling?" Right. And I think people generally believe that I care about how yeah. they're feeling. And that could be mentally, that could be, is anything sore? Is anything hurting? Right. And like, and then you look at them, you see how they're moving, like, dang, so-and-so told me they're not feeling where they look bad. Let's not do this today. Yeah. Like, you have to be okay with doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I sent, like, let me not say that I sent a kid home, but like they, 
kid didn't look good and i was like bro, like look there's no point of forcing this like if we're yeah. gonna do this it needs to be high quality it's fine and they felt like i was like punishing them i was like no it's okay yeah yeah and they came back the next day and had their best practice ever nice huh. weird how that works you know <laughs> yeah so it's like coming up with the master plan like you don't know what's going to happen people are going to get sick people are going to get hurt not hurt hurt but like maybe a little thing here and there yeah yeah i mean they could so yeah so you you always are gonna have to adjust so like for me i'm kind of like yes of course i know that the world championships are this time and this meet is that time and i work backwards to a degree and say hey we need to be here to be ready for this meet yeah but like i'm working week to week and I think of maybe big chunks of like, okay, maybe these six weeks, I'm trying to do this general thing, yeah. I'm trying to build this, you know, but week yeah. to week and day to day, I'm changing stuff depending mm. on how people responded to the last right. practice and how they're feeling that day. That's super interesting. Mm, I like that. Cool. Because it's like, I, I think like over overcooking is way worse than like undercooking in this analogy. Like, yeah. If somebody misses a day, it doesn't matter. Right. If somebody does too much one day and gets hurt, that really matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good analogy. Like, just chill. Like, it'll be okay. You don't have to die today. Like. Yep. Nice. Cool. Cool. But yeah, that's perfect. All right. And then the last bit will be, uh, what are you up to? Like, what's next for you? And uh, what's what are you working for? towards or training towards next i mean you know my high school kids have a meet you know first week of december so that's what i'm looking wow. forward to them okay so that's nice like three weeks yeah or is it three weeks two weeks yeah i think it's like three weeks from now maybe two even no two weeks from tomorrow yeah. wow um and i tell you Thea's not competing she'll probably do a couple meets in february and the february. world championships is coming up indoor yeah. worlds yeah, indoor worlds in march yep okay nice so that's the big thing and i said it you know maybe the whole world knows now but like you know we're trying to jump 15 meters indoors let's go you know so yeah we'll see you know easier yep. said than done yeah uh, i i hope and i i you know, I think, you know, after Thea's performance at the Olympics, every coach pretty much had something to say to me about it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, these are just guys I've seen a lot and they don't say anything to me. And now all of a sudden they see me. So like, right. I think everybody knows what it is. Like they see what it is. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, I, again, fouls don't count, but like, and I'm sure you know this as being a jumper, like people are like, yeah, man, I had these big fouls and blah, 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 and whatever. Like, like, okay, yes. This was a big foul, but like y'all saw it on TV, it was at the Olympics. Like this is like legit. Like yeah, yeah. everybody saw it. People right. expect it. And not to mention that the first jump in the prelim, she jumped fourteen sixty. Like that's huge, you know. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. So world indoors is the big one that you're focusing on. Well, the coming up. I, I wouldn't say world indoors isn't necessary. Isn't a focus as much as to the outdoor world championships. Yeah. Um, but like that's the first thing that we're. <clears throat> we're working towards yeah. i expect her to be in 15 meter shape for that and i expect her to be in better shape outdoors nice do you do you take like a month break between indoor and outdoor or do you just keep training all the way through i haven't done that well definitely never taken a month off or yeah sorry i mean a break it could be a week a day um, or... a break we're, we're talking like two or three days maybe two three days <laughs> wow yeah okay um but i i'm not going back to the point i made about 
you know, missing a day is not a huge deal. Like, at the right. level, I'm not opposed to it. Like, I, again, I told you I talked to uh, Patricia Mamona's coach. Like, he gives her a week break after the indoor season. And to yeah. me, even like a, lot, a, year, a year or two ago, he told me that. And I was kind of like, really? Like, <laughs> but she's older and she's been doing it for so long. Like, maybe that's sure. fine. And maybe Thea can do that too. Yeah. But, but the way that, Again, that I coach, and this is not the way everybody needs to coach, but the way that I coach is kind of like Thea's trying, we're trying to jump super far. We're trying to win everything. And so, like, she needs to keep building. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and, I, and I, again, I think there are definitely coaches that, that I feel like kind of just doing the same thing year over year and they get like incrementally better. And that's not what I'm trying to do. Right, right. But again, in Ramona's case, she's been jumping super far for a long time, and she had a monster season, so she probably doesn't need to be changing that much. I think she has mm. damn good technique, yeah. too. Like, so yeah. she's fine. Yeah. And maybe Thea is there now, <clears throat> but she wasn't there a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, sure. You know? Yep, for sure. It's a big puzzle, big puzzle to solve, but that's awesome. I think you're doing a really good job at it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time and chatting with me, sharing all the goods uh, from your experience. Yeah, man. No problem.